All right, we're concluding our series uh, in the book of Jonah today and chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you. Happy first Sunday of the summer, I guess, officially, right? Um, I wish you guys could have all been there at kids camp. It was so much fun. The team did such an awesome job, including putting that wonderful uh, slide presentation together. I think that really captured the heart and joy of it all. Um, you, you know it was a good time when you lose track of all the, the stories of kids sharing, why can't this be longer? Why can't there be more than just one week? And all the volunteers are just, yeah, that sounds wonderful. And you know, <laughs> See equal parts joy and exhaustion on their faces. Uh, thank you, guys. What, what a gift. And I just think, you know, the, the fruit coming out of camps like these aren't just, you know, little, little kids like those 8 to 10 making decisions to follow Jesus, as if that weren't enough. And it's not just those who grew in their faith over a short period of time learning about God's love, going a little bit deeper in that. It's not just those things, but how many people here at Current look back on a time when they went to a summer, say, VBS or kids camp, and so many years later, they're like, oh, I'll check church out. And now you are following Jesus because of it. So uh, thank you guys for praying for the teams. Thank you for praying for these little ones. It was so fun to see uh, all that what God was doing, and we're excited to see what he does coming out of that. Uh, today marks the last Sunday uh, for Cindy and, and me before we head out on sabbatical. Uh, yeah, wait a minute. Why are you cheering? Why are you cheering? <laughs> I did that with the kids team too earlier. I was like, we're going on sabbatical. They're like, woo! I'm like, wait a minute. Wait, I think I'm... No, no. It's, uh, we're, th thank you for your excitement for us in that. We're, we're sure grateful for it. Um, we purposely tried to stay through kids camp. Uh, we wanted to be there for that. Um, but the, the elder board, uh, a couple years ago actually, uh, came to us floating the idea of sabbatical. That was heading into the year of 2020. So didn't get sabbatical then. <laughs> Had something called the pandemic hit and all that sort of thing. 
Uh, so we're really grateful to get away now. Uh, just to think, man, we're coming up on the eight-year mark. Uh, current's turning seven, but, you know, it was a year before that of making the push. And so we're, we're really grateful for that. Uh, we've got a great team of, of leaders uh, ready to go. Uh, we've got a great list of guest speakers lined up, including Shauna Pilgreen, who's coming next week. Uh, Shauna Pilgreen recently took over as the regional director of Alpha in the area, so it'll be fun to hear from her. And then uh, founder and director of, Strat of the Stratum Foundation, working with church plants, Nick Parsons, will be here a number of weeks. So it's going to be fun, among, among others. Um, can I just ask, can I just ask that while we're away, would you, would you be praying for us? Um, my hope, my hope, other than getting time with the kids and, you know, getting extended time with them, I can count on one hand, I think, how many times we've been away for two Sundays in a row uh, since going back to the early days. Uh, in addition to that, uh, I, would, I would covet your prayers that we would come back rearing to go. You know what I mean? I told the board uh, not too long ago, I was like, yeah, I feel like I'm tired. <laughs> and in good senses, but it's just, I'm, I'm really hopeful and prayerful that when we come back, it's like we got a fresh wind of the sails ready, because there's a lot of fun things on the horizon. We'll be talking about that heading into fall. Uh, and then can I also be asking that you pray for the leadership team while we're away, uh, just for unity, for protection. If you can look for ways to encourage uh, the leadership team, they're going to be juggling a little bit more. Um, should be sure grateful for that. We're going to be uh, leaving midweek this week and then back in mid-August. So we're excited about that and excited for uh, hopefully the fruit that, that comes out of that. Uh, let, me, let me say a prayer and then we'll, then we'll jump into our, our text. Father, thank you so much for things like, uh, for, for rest. Of course, you give Sabbath rest on a weekly basis, sabbatical rest sometimes on a, on a, on a, on a longer scale, but um, we're just grateful for seasons like the summer months where for, for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, the, uh, the pace slows down just a little bit. And I pray that for many here, uh, we'll be able to get some rest. We'll be able to get some, some energy um, as a church as we uh, purposefully try to let the ground lay fallow, so to speak. Um, I pray that there would be a lot of rest for the leaders here, but also just some wonderful opportunities to build relationships uh, with each other, but, but also in the community such that um, we can build upon that come fall and the push that we, we're, we're looking ahead towards on that. But Father, as we conclude now your, uh, uh, looking at uh, your word in Jonah chapter 4 in this series, Lord, would you please, as ever, give us your spirit to understand what it is you have in front of us for, for each of us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. I hope you've been enjoying going through the book of Jonah. I, I, I sure have. Um, today we conclude uh, our series through Jonah. We've been calling out of, uh, uh, excuse me, the depths of God's mercy. And today we're looking at the last chapter, chapter 4. And I'm really excited about it because chapter 4 typically doesn't get a lot of limelight when it comes to the book of Jonah. In fact, many people who are familiar with the book of Jonah might not necessarily know all that much about Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 1 gets a lot of attention because, well, that's where Jonah gets the call and he flees and, you know, God sends the storm. Jonah 2 gets a lot of attention because, well, that's the great fish. Kind of got to know about that one. And then Jonah 3, maybe, maybe it's a little familiar as well in the sense of it's the time when, <laughs> when Jonah finally feels a kick in, in the pants to get over to Nineveh already and preach God's word. But Jonah chapter 4 is one that is, is way more than just an epilogue. Uh, 
In fact, I would, I would argue that it's, it's, the, it's the most important book, uh, excuse me, chapter of, of the book. And the reason for that, at least as it seems to me, is, is it's in chapter four where all the lessons of the book are laid bare. And it's where all the principles are driven home. In terms of the great themes of the book of Jonah, that is uh, the theme of our relationship with God and the other theme of our being a part of God's mission, our being a part of God's mission. We have a tagline uh, here at Current that we've used going all the way back. In fact, I saw it on someone's t-shirt today. I thought that was kind of cool. Where we want to be here for good. Here dot for good dot, you know, kind of playing on words there. We're, as a church, Kurt is here in the Silicon Valley for good. We want to be here for good in the sense of we want to be uh, reflecting God's light and love to the community. We want to make a tangible difference, impact in the, in the area. Okay, we want to be here for good in that sense. But we also want to be here for good in the sense of being rooted. Uh, you know, for, for, for the sake of, of longevity. Because everybody here knows about the Silicon Valley. There's... There's a high turnover rate. It's a very transient area, at least compared to the rest of the nation. And for the reasons we all know, you know, the expense of the area, you know, the relative fast pace of, of life. There's a transient, there's a turnover. So we want to be, as God's church, established here, rooted here for good, over the long haul, committed to his, God's mission. And so that's what I love about Jonah chapter 4, is we just kind of conclude here, and we think about Jonah and his part in God's mission. We see all these lessons that we've been talking, to, talking about going through the series come to a head in terms of our part in God's mission. So we're, we're going to look at that, and we're going to kind of uh, review this book and kind of finish here on, on Jonah, uh, Jonah chapter 4. And the way I'd like to uh, frame our points today for, for the sake of kind of driving it home, is by way of questions. So I'm going to ask two questions, which I really think are the two big questions that the book of Jonah are asking all along and then driving home here in Jonah 4. Question number one, are you following God for God? Are you, if you're a follower of, of his, are you following God for God? Because what we've been seeing, and then we're going to see again in this chapter, all throughout the book of Jonah, is the fact that there's this religious guy who thought he was following God, but really he was only following God superficially. Wasn't really following God for God. If you were here last week, you know that we left off at the end of chapter 3 with Jonah going to Nineveh, finally, and preaching the mission to these Ninevites who, astonishingly enough, believe. They, like, turn from their wicked ways and they put their faith in God, or at least start to turn and try to get their act together. It's absolutely astonishing on whatever level you want to think about it. It's remarkable. It's nothing short of miraculous. Okay? So that's where we end off in Jonah chapter 3. Jonah's seen this incredible miracle. He's gotten to be a part of it. Jonah 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Oh, Jonah. Here we go. And he became angry. The, the veil's coming off, okay? We've been speculating all throughout this series, all throughout going through this book, why it is Jonah's been such a, like, you know, sore sport here. Here it comes out. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Meaning, we're now seeing that Jonah had been having a dialogue with the Lord, not recorded in the other parts of the book, all along. And we get the inner workings of how he felt. This is what I told you would happen. This is what I tried to forestall, God, by fleeing to Tarshish. And why is he angry? I knew 
that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Oh, Jonah. I'd like to call Jonah the emo prophet. I feel like, I was thinking about this week, those of you guys who were around at the time, it's like, give him an acoustic guitar and put him in the early 2000s, and he would have been right in place. This guy, so emo. This is so crazy on so many levels. I mean, for one thing, Jonah had just gotten to be a part of one of the most successful missionary movements of all time. Okay? Tons of people who are as far away from God in terms of like their wickedness and all that sort of thing, just on a dime, putting their faith in the Lord, just turning to him. And Jonah got to be a part of that. Spearhead tip, a part of that. It'd be like, you know, the Denver Nuggets winning the NBA championships and being angry about it. Like, what's up with that? It's like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, Jonah, what, what's going on? But what's even crazier in my mind, and this is what I love about doing a series through a book and just understanding all of this in its context, what's even crazier is Jonah chapter 4 is happening after Jonah chapter 2. Now, those of you who are here with us, do you remember what happened in Jonah chapter 2? Jonah chapter 1, we're introduced to this very smug, self-righteous, religious dude who just didn't have a clue, right? Just smug in his pride, and we've all known the types. We can all see ourselves a little bit in that. That's Jonah chapter 1. But Jonah chapter 2, from, from the storm, like he's even waxing poetic about it. He's saying the, the winds were raging. over. He, he's tossed into the storm. The waves are about to crush him. His life is ebbing away, he says. And in the, out of the depths, he has a coming to moment where he's like, you know what, God, essentially, I've been an idiot. I've been an idiot. Like, Lord, I see now your mercy. I see now your grace. And so he says things like, Jonah 2, verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love. I've been turning away from your love, God. I see that now, clearly. And then he proclaims what many Bible scholars actually even say could be the theme verse of all the scriptures, let alone the book. He declares, out of the depths, salvation comes from the Lord. So in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah has experienced and found God's mercy and grace. He just had a coming to moment. All that's just kind of sinking into his heart. And yet, here we are two chapters later. Not a lot of time has elapsed. And what is Jonah doing? He's relapsed. You know? You know what I'm saying? And friends, that's such good news because that's you and that's me. If you're followers of God. Uh, what we see here, we've been talking about this. What we see here is it's frighteningly easy for those of us who follow God to think that we're doing that, but only to be really doing that superficially. Like, we think we're following God, but really we're following him for what he can and ought to be doing for us already. But what's more, what Jonah 4 is now showing us, is that understanding God's grace and being changed by it happens over the, a, a long journey. Happens over successive stages. There was one uh, Bible scholar, I was, I was reading this last week, who likened this to the building of Interstate 79 on the East Coast. There was this highway project that was commissioned years ago to, to build this, this freeway out there, Highway 79. And while much of the highway was built and constructed, put together in a very short period of time, there was just one section that actually took many, many years to finally complete. And that, that's because this little section of highway was, go, was going through swampland. 
And so every time the builders would kind of put pylons down and try to drill to get to the foundation, the bedrock, they'd go to then put the, uh, the highway road across it, only to find that it ha they hadn't gone down deep enough. And so they'd dig a little bit further. They thought they were deep enough at that point, still not deep enough, over and over again until finally they reached bedrock. Well, that's, that's what we see happening in Jonah's heart. Just when it seems like Jonah is finally allowing the depths of God's grace and mercy get down to the, the, the bottom of his heart, it just shows that he hasn't, he hasn't actually experienced that. It actually isn't. It needs to go deeper still. And so the question then becomes, if that's you and me, which I imagine we don't have to think too much about it to understand or see ourselves in that, the question then becomes, well, when do we know we've actually reached the bedrock of our heart when it comes to experiencing and living from God's grace and mercy truly? When, when can we say that's happened? And, and the way to think about that is if, if we're saying in any way, whether explicitly or subconsciously, God, I will obey you provided you give me that, the that is the non-negotiable. The, the that is what we are using God to an ends for. And those are the things that the, the book of Jonah is inviting us to consider. Are we following God for God, or are we following God for what he can do for us, or what he, we think he ought to be doing for us? Uh, Tim Keller, the Christian author and pastor, wrote a, a book where the title really says so much of it. The book's called Counterfeit Gods. It's a really helpful book, especially in our, in our day and age and where we live. But he, he talks about how, like a lot of the themes that actually have come up from Jonah and how there's these worthless idols that we can pursue. Idols being not just things, you know, figurines that we worship, but these things that we, we look to for our sense of satisfaction, happiness, security, worth, identity, you name it. It's really easy to find our identity in things like our work, you know, power, success, how we look, sex, uh, people's approval of us, I and mean, you, just, you just name it. And one of the important things to understand, and Jonah emphasizes no less, is that it can be even good things that we look to apart from God for happiness that we'll never measure up. And as Christians, as followers, as we can easily think that we're following God for God, but really actually know he's an ends to a means of getting what, we, what we're really after. And so this, this book, this chapter, invites us to look at ways in which we might be searching, we might be putting things ahead of God, before him in our lives. And when you think about it in terms of, say, things that are, that can be good, that can have this kind of power on our hearts. Uh, you know, it made me this last week think of something like, like finding my identity in our kids. You know, parents, you got to be real careful. we got to be real careful not to just find our identity, an inordinate desire for our sense of worth, in how well our kids are doing or not doing. I had a little case study this last few weeks because it's been postseason baseball. You know, we've been out there doing TOCs and... Uh, and uh, all-stars, and, you know, I'm lying at bed at night way more upset about these games than I ought to be. I'm like, why is this stealing from my, from my sleep? And I'm forced to go like, man, am I starting to relive the old glory days and find my identity? That might sound super trivial, but it's like, it's helping me to see, well, what's, what's my heart doing here? Baseball might seem, sports might seem trivial. What about academics, parents? It's real easy when a test doesn't go well. It's like, oh, no, my kid, I'm not supporting the way I... Now, understand, supporting our kids, helping them get ahead, that's a, that's a good thing. But if it takes an inordinate place in our hearts, if it can become an ultimate thing, where we're, put, we're placing that ahead of, of God. 
uh, you know, use kids as an example. Career here in Silicon Valley certainly can be something. Man, I'm just not getting that promotion, God. How could you? What are things that you are perhaps placing ahead of God? And the reality is, therefore, you're not seeking him for him, but you're seeking him for what he can do for you. You're seeking him for what, what that is. The way we know grace and mercy has, has dug itself deep into our hearts is when we go to love God and serve him for him and for his sake. Uh, just for the, for the joy of delighting him, for the joy of knowing him and being more like him. Uh, here's the response of God, which is, which is incredible. We're asking this question, uh, how, do, how might we be placing other things in front of, in front of God? How, how might we not be looking to God for God? And, and as Jonah's doing that, by the way, in his own religiosity, in his own identity as like a Hebrew, and those enemies and Ninevites just don't deserve it, here's how God comes to him. It says, but the Lord replied, verse 4, is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? And he actually repeats this in verse 9. God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? The book of Jonah is filled with many astonishing things. Wouldn't you say? The storm, the fish, okay. Ninevites putting their faith in the Lord. But of all the things that are absolutely astonishing to me is that God shows up here yet again. He's still putting up with Jonah. You know what I mean? That's astonishing. Last week, I titled the message, The God of Second Chances. That's a little bit of a play. Like God is the God of many chances. He's just constantly, here he goes to and pursues Jonah, even after he's experienced the Jonah 2 coming to moment with the Lord and has not gotten it at all. God still comes to Jonah after he's fled, after he's whining, after he hasn't gotten it over and over again. He comes to Jonah with a question. And I love that he comes with a question. Because what we see here is God is not just gracious, as if, you know, that weren't enough, and it's been a theme of what we've been talking about. God, in his graciousness, is exceedingly patient with us. He'll ask a question. He's just, you know what he's starting here with Jonah? As he's starting to respond to Jonah in his emo state and just missing it? God is starting an all-out assault on the stubbornness of Jonah's heart. God is beginning right here an all-out assault on Jonah's self-righteousness, and he's doing it exceedingly patiently. You tracking that? It's incredible. So God loved Jonah so much that he couldn't just let Jonah go off and, and flee. He couldn't, he couldn't just let Jonah go. But God also loved Jonah so much that he couldn't let Jonah remain as he was. So he came, he pursued him, wanting to bring him back, bring him further, bring him deeper into his mercy and grace. So he comes out and he asks a question. So let me ask you, in what way might God be patient with you right now? And the thing I love about questions like that is if you give it some thought, perhaps the Holy Spirit will bring something to mind. What is something that the Lord, perhaps out of just his grace and his patience, has just been walking with you for a while? Maybe it's been weeks, maybe it's been months, maybe it's been years, maybe it's been decades. And maybe like Jonah, you've just been like fleeing from it in your own sense or whatever, not, not wanting to deal with it, not wanting to think about it, but the Lord just keeps bringing it up. Have you ever experienced one of those times in life where you're like, man, I thought I'd learned this already. Have you ever experienced that? Or maybe you even articulate it, I, mean, I, don't, I don't need to learn this, I've already learned this. It's like, if, if you're ever thinking that or saying those words, that ought to be red flags waving in the air. 
Because guess what? That's Jonah and that's you and me. Life, the journey of learning to let God's grace and mercy sink deeper into our hearts is a long one. It takes successive stages. And so if you think you might need to learn, you're still learning something, guess what? Join the club. And in fact, a little spoiler alert, we don't know from how Jonah ends if Jonah ever actually realized what was all going on, if he learned the lessons. We don't, we don't know. And yet, there's of course now then an invitation for you and me that as God is working in our hearts, perhaps he's raising things to our attention that maybe we don't want to give time or space to, but he just, he loves us too much to just let us be, we can give thought to, we can consider. The invitation here is to allow the process to happen. Because <laughs> I think with Jonah, he tried to stop the process, wouldn't you say? He tried to hinder it. And he, he ended up having to learn things a lot the hard way. And I think, I think an invitation here is we don't have to let it be where we learn it the hard way. We can let God do his thing and we can come alongside. The grace is a little quick sidebar, though, is even when we are stubborn like Jonah is, uh, God still comes after us. But there's an invitation here to, for our side of things to allow the process to happen, to humble our hearts, and to, to think about where might God be helping us see that we're not following him for him, but we're following him for what he ought to be doing for us already. And there's a, there's a great gift there for us if we would allow it to happen. That's the, the first big question asked throughout the book, and especially here in chapter 2. Here's the second question. Are you willing to be an active part of carrying out God's mission? So the first question, are you willing to follow God? To God? Are you following God for God? The second one is, are you willing to be an active part of God's mission? God calls you and me to be a part of his, his mission in the world like he did with Jonah. And the question here is, will we be a part of that? Will we, will we join with him? Uh, Jonah was ticked off at God for relenting with the Ninevites. Uh, he, was, he was upset that he was merciful, and he said, I knew it, God. I knew you were, you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. I, just, I, just, I knew you were going to relent. And what we see here is God appeals to Jonah, first by asking a question, so we see the patience involved. But then secondly, we see that God appeals to Jonah through what I'll call an object lesson, okay? Did you pay attention when it was read, you, this whole bit about the leaf, you know, the, the leafy plant and the worm and the, the scorching heat? Like, what was, all, what was that all about? Uh, it was an object lesson of God continuing his assault very graciously, very patiently on Jonah's stubbornness and his self-righteousness. He sends this leafy plant because Jonah had gone up after preaching Nineveh, after, after people had turned from their ways to, to repent and turn back to the Lord. He goes up on the mountainside and beyond all hope is thinking maybe God will go ahead. I know he's gonna, it looks like he's going to run up, but I'm hoping he's going to go ahead and smite them anyways. He's up there just wait, wait, waiting for God to bring down destruction of the Ninevites. That's Jonah. And it's uh, up on the mountainside in the desert. It's blazing hot, scorching heat, and he's just feeling it. He makes himself a little makeshift uh, shelter, which isn't really doing it for him. So God sends a leafy plant that grows up and eventually provides shade for Jonah. And Jonah is ecstatic. Uh, have you ever been there where you're just so, like, emotionally exhausted and down? Where, I mean, it's Jonah in one moment is saying, just kill me, God. Let it end. And then he gets the shade. He's like, best day ever. Like, I love this shade. Like, I think we all have experienced that, like the, the mood swings that we can be. You know, Jonah's there. But then the next day, God raises up this worm to go along and nibble and eat 
uh, so, such that the, the leafy plant withers. And we can just imagine Jonah at this point. He's like, you got to be kidding me. He's like, just when I thought things were starting to go my way, God, you had to go and do that. On top of everything else. And, and just Jonah, Jonah's just swinging emotionally back and forth. And it's at that point that God comes to him with this moral conclusion. He says in verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, Jonah, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also as many animals. And it, with those words, the book of Jonah ends. So what's the lesson here? What's, what's incredible is God was appealing to Jonah on the basis that Jonah already knew about God. Jonah had already said, dang it, God, I knew you were going to relent because you are a, quote, gracious and compassionate God. That's what Jonah said. That's what came out of his mouth. That word compassionate in its, in its Greek form is such a strong word, has such rich meaning, because the word means to have such empathy and love and care for something or someone that you feel it on the inside. In fact, the word has roots connected to your gut. You feel it in the gut. Like you're just so moved out of love and care that you don't just feel it emotionally, you feel it, you feel it physically. And you know, these are the kind of things, if you've been following God for a while and you know his word, you can go, oh yeah, I know that. He's gracious and compassionate. Words on paper. This is absolutely mind-boggling. Absolutely mind-boggling. Biblical scholars point out that ancient Greek philosophers talked about at least two different kinds of love. There's the love of benevolence. The love of benevolence is this, is this idea that you will love something or someone even when you don't like them. Like you just love out of, of, of a benevolent spirit. Your heart is just not in it, but you're going to tangibly love them anyways. That's the love of benevolence. The love of attachment, on the other hand, is loving out of a strong heart desire because, because you're just bound up with that person or that thing. You just, you gotta love. You gotta care because your, your heart just, it just comes out of you. That's the love of attachment. And what the ancient Greek Stoic philosophers said uh, over and over again is there's no way God could love anything more than benevolently, if that. There's no way that God could love any more than, well, he's going to love us because we're human beings and he certainly can't like us for what we do, but he loves us. Any like, that's a good scenario in their minds, in, 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 was in their minds. But Jonah knew that God was loving out of the compassion, the heart-wrenching love for people. And that's what we see time and time again in this story and really throughout all the scriptures. You know, Jonah, being a good prophet, emo as he was, was quoting Exodus 33, a very famous text where God shows up to Moses and lets his glory pass before Moses. And as the Lord passes before Moses, he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Jonah's quoting that. And so now here, God, with this conclusion at the end of the book, and through this object lesson, is saying, Jonah, don't you see? In the same way your heart has grown attached in love to this plant because it's provided some shade for you. How much infinitely more do I love people who are separated from me? God loves the people, every person who's created in his image. 
And you know what's even more, and I want to press this point because we've got to keep moving here. Jonah had love of attachment for a plant because it was giving him something. It's giving him some shade and comfort. God has no reason to attach his hearts to any of us. He doesn't need us. He's perfectly content in himself. And yet he voluntarily chooses to love and be compassionate towards us. And so current family, what this means as far as being a part of God's mission is we don't just tell people about God's love through Christ because, oh, you know, it's the church thing to do. Probably should do it. We tell people, we look for ways to tell people about Jesus, the love of God through Christ, because God's heart is white hot compassionate with love for those who are separated from him. As much as God loved the Ninevites, God loves your neighbor, your coworker, your friend in the community, and mine. And he calls us to be a part of that. You know, the most famous verse in the Bible says, For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. The next verse goes on to say, For God did not send the son, his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. God loves the world. And then Jesus, very famously in Luke chapter 19, says, The Son of Man, speaking of himself, came to seek and save the lost. God loves with white-hot compassion, gut-wrenching compassion, those who are far from him. He wants to include you and me as a part of that. Um, I came across a study that is just fascinating. I've never, I've never considered this before, but many, many years ago, um, a theologian named B.B. Warfield uh, did a study on all the gospel or biographical accounts of Jesus' life recorded in the New Testament, and he noted every place it would describe Christ's emotion. Okay? Every time it talked about how he was feeling or what he was expressing emotionally, he kind of noted that. Do you want to guess what phrase by far and away described the emotions of Christ? He was moved with compassion. By far and away. Not even close. And, in fact, for every one time the Lord is recorded and described as laughing, he is described 20 times crying or weeping. We are told that he was the man of sorrows. Is that because he was just walking around in some depressive state? No, because there are plenty of other places in the scriptures where we are told he experienced tremendous joy, particularly in his relationship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Christ was exuding joy, and yet he was incredibly sorrowful. Why? Because it connected us to him. And it embodied how we are separated from him. And that is the gospel. That's what Jonah and really all the scriptures are pointing towards. What Christ came to do. Jonah would weep, but Jonah would weep for himself. Christ would come, and he would weep, but he would weep for the world. And then Jonah would go up on the mountainside to watch the destruction of the people, but Christ would go up on the mountainside out of the city to hang on the cross for the world. That's the good news that we can receive even today. If you're here today, you've never received the good news. The gospel of the scriptures is that you can receive Christ and eternal life in him today. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and mine. That's the, so that you and I can be brought back into relationship. It says, to all who receive him, to all who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. And on the cross, Jesus didn't just die physically. He didn't just experience the physical pain of crucifixion, as bad as that was. But far more than that, infinitely more than that, he, he faced the spiritual death of being separated with God for all those 
who have yet to put their faith, who, who have not put their faith in him. And he, would, he urges you out of the compassion, plea, love of his heart to receive him. And you can do that even today. In fact, if, you, if you're here today, I want to give you an opportunity to actually make, put a little spiritual marker on the ground. On those connection cards, there's a little place to kind of mark, not, mark on the card, not that that saves you, but you can put a little spiritual marker. We'll see it and pray for you. We're going to be taking communion later. So you can, as a first act of following God, take communion with us as we remember Christ's death and resurrection. But then for those of you who have received him, what I want us to notice in the book of, of Jonah, especially now as we conclude, is how it ends. This is a massive cliffhanger. Could you imagine reading this as original Hebrew? You know, like, what, what happened? What happened to Jonah? And obviously it's very purposeful, right? We don't know what happened to Jonah. Did he continue down his stubborn ways? I hope not. Find out. Heaven. Or did he go back to Nineveh and help some of these guys in their fledgling faith start to figure out what it means to follow the world? We don't know. And I think the reason for that, very straightforwardly, is that God wants us to place our stories at the end here. Because we're Jonah. I'm Jonah. You're Jonah. And the question is, what will we do with God's mission? Will, will we join him actively, not passively or, or running away? Will we join him actively to be part of his mission? This is very much why we started Current. We're celebrating that eight to ten little ones put their faith in Jesus. I was telling the team earlier this week, we would have started Current for any one of those kids making a decision to follow Jesus. It's eternity. Life is short. Eternity is long. And yet we, are, we get to, as his church, roll up our sleeves together, enjoy community, build each other up in the faith, but also make his love known to those around. We started current very much with this front and center. We want it to be, continue to be front and center as long as we exist. And so for much of the summer, the vision for the summer is that we're doing these activity groups. This, I love this. This is such current style of how the Lord kind of brings these things together. We're just going to go out in these activity groups and have fun. A big part of that is to hang out over board games, hiking, you know, going out to softball. If you don't play, you can come watch, all that sort of stuff. Creator corners, all those sorts of things. To have fun, build relationships with each other, absolutely, but also to act as an easy invitation for those in your life that perhaps would otherwise not step foot into church so that they can taste and see what a Christ-following community is like. Because let me just tell you, nothing any of you are surprised about. We live in an area that's very that's not very receptive towards Christianity. But here's the reality about that, and perhaps this is your story. So often that lack of receptivity towards Christianity is not for reasons of Christ. And we get to, as a follower of his, in this area where he's placed us, get out of the way, break down barriers to Christ. And we want to do that through community. So we'd love for you, during these summer months where we're trying to take it a little bit easier to give our leaders some break, but also provide opportunities to get to know different people in the church from in, in different areas as we come together over shared activity, to also use this time very intentionally to maybe to, to extend an invitation to somebody who wouldn't otherwise go to church to, to bring them in. Because the hope from out of that is heading into the fall. In September through November, we're going to be a part of a Bay Area-wide initiative called Explore God. Over 100 churches are already a part of this thing. It's going to be really exciting. You're going to see it on billboards. You're going to see it in social media. But this Explorer God campaign is, is a time in which all these churches who are a part of it are going are to ask the questions that a lot of people, perhaps even yourselves, are asking in the community. Is there really a God? How could a good God allow pain and suffering? What about Jesus? What's his connection to all of this? And so on. So the whole idea is through the summer, the extent we can, 
uh, utilize these activity groups, utilize barbecue, whatever it is, hanging out with people, in order to come fall when we want to make and extend invitations, it won't be in a relational vacuum. We can bring people, hey, you remember those folks you met? Why don't you come on out and join us for, for this series? Hopefully you'll, you'll get something out of it. That's the hope. That's why we've been going through Jonah. I hope you've gotten a lot from this book. I certainly have. If nothing else, I've learned that the human heart has not changed all that much since Jonah, starting with my own. And yet God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is exceedingly gracious. He's exceedingly patient. He loves with white-hot compassion those in our lives, as as he loves us. And he wants to include you and me as a part of his eternal mission. And the great news about Jonah, if there's nothing else, is he will sometimes even use us in spite of ourselves. And isn't that wonderful? I know it is, that's been the story of Current. So we hope that you would utilize church family, the wonderful uh, opportunity this summer months, and let's be praying heading into the fall. There's a lot of opportunity. We're excited what God's getting ready to do. Uh, let's pray. Father, as we slow our hearts, we calm our hearts even more now to to get ready to take communion. Uh, We just want to say thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. That you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. Thank you that in him we can have eternal life. And thank you that in him we can make your love, your eternal love, uh, known to those around us. And thank you that through the story of Jonah, we get to see clear as day that you'll use us even in spite of us. That's our prayer. Current is not a a church of people who've got it figured out, worked out. Current is a church of people who desperately need Jesus and just want to receive, live from, and extend the same love Christ gave us. And so, Father, as we take communion now, we remember you, your sacrifice on the cross, your body broken, your blood shed. And remember the mission that you you came to die to make that same love available to those around us. Would you use us toward that end? We ask in Christ's name.